And we are rolling live here this AM for the Early Bird Podcast Session. Stefan Maya with you. AddedSouls.com is the website. I labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ. You can check us out on Facebook. And we also have a website, East Coast Church of Christ. Com. It's good to have you. Hope you're doing well. We're going to be looking at our topical theme for Thursdays. And today, an article from our trusted friends over at apologeticspress.org titled, Was the Flood Global? Testimony from Scripture and Science. This written from our brother Jeff Miller, PhD. And you can certainly check out his credentials. Um, he is uh, well-versed in the science and explanation of things, and a uh, very encouraging article we shall read uh, in regards to this topic, right? Hey, listen, please consider subscribing, following, giving us a thumbs up, comment, sharing the link far and wide, and please consider supporting the Added Souls Ministry through the Maya family and the mission work we are involved with here on the east coast of Canada, serving, of course, the east coast maritimes population, Moncton, Dieppe, and Riverview, and other locations. You can support that if you sign up to addedsouls.locals.com. It's free to sign up, but from there you can choose to support us uh, monthly, and uh, that goes towards the work. And you can have all the transparency of our reports and our updates and everything involved with that. You can reach out to me. We can have a phone conversation, a video chat, email exchange, whatever it is. We've been doing this for a little while now, and so it's been good work. God is good. His grace is wonderful. His mercy. And uh, it's just truly a blessing that we get to utilize the expediency of the digital world in order to reach our community, our immediate community, and, our, and around the world. So please consider if you are willing and able to partake with this good work. We do have some goals to reach, and we've not reached them yet. But God and His good grace allows us to have food, shelter, and clothing, right? So again, addedsouls.locals.com, please consider that. So was the flood global? Yeah, there's a lot of discussion around that one, right? And uh, the scriptures do certainly have their critics, and they do certainly have their naysayers and all kinds of stuff like that, or their own interpretations in regards to the flood in the age of Noah. Well, you and I want to know the truth, right? We want to find ourselves humble to the text, and we just want to know the truth, and we want to change our thoughts in accordance to the truth, the history, the science, and everything that would uh, help provide a path facilitating our reception of the truth. And our dear friends over at ApologeticsPress.org have certainly done that in my search throughout the years a great many times. And uh, the reason and purpose and thrive of their ministry, of course, is to lead us to the truth. And uh, it always points us to the scriptures rightly handled, and that's a beautiful thing. So was the flood global from the scriptures, of course, and science written by Jeff Miller? We'll get into it and just go forward from here. Uh, it says here uh, that the article in brief and what it has involved in this, of course, article is that both scripture and science testify the flood of Genesis 6 through 9 was global. The details of scripture, coupled with our growing knowledge about the inner earth and its mechanisms, have provided valuable insight into what may have occurred in the flood and where the water from the flood went. So that's pretty cool. I continue to read. Some, of, uh, some ask how the flood of Genesis found chapter 6 through 9 could be a global flood, right? There simply is not enough water on the earth to cover, quote, all the high mountains under the whole, earth, uh, whole heaven, covering them 15 cubits deep. That's Genesis chapter 7, verse 19 and 20. So after considering such apparent quandaries, many resort to interpreting the flood of Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9 as being not worldwide, but local in its extent. Is the story of the flood a myth? Was the flood a local rather than a global flood? Very good questions to ask. 
And if we are indeed students of the scriptures and uh, individuals uh, seeking the truth, uh, the answers are available. The motive of our heart will determine, of course, which path we are going to take. And I utilize this illustration a great many times, but it serves the point. You have two individuals in the same community asking the same question. Are there any police officers here? And the reason you find these two individuals in the same community, from the same community, asking the same question, of course, is so we can recognize the difference in motive, which makes, of course, an apparent division here. One of them is asking, is there any police officers here? Because his house just got broken into and he is seeking public assistance. He is seeking law enforcement. Someone has broken into his house and stolen his goods. The other individual is asking the same question. Are there any police officers here? However, the difference is the individual in question asking the same question is asking because, well, they just broke into their neighbor's house and stolen his goods. So they're seeking to evade to evacuate the scene before getting apprehended by law enforcement. So you see, the same question is being asked, but one of them, the motive is for public assistance. They've been robbed. They've been the Thieves have broken in, if you will, to their house. And the other one's asking the same question, but it's to evade law enforcement because they are the thieves. And we are given the responsibility to discern that motive. And we can understand the motive by the fruits they produce, of course. We can recognize countenance, behavioral uh, char characters uh, or characteristics and uh, stuff like that. And the things they say, the things they do. Okay, well, why are we asking the question, was the flood global? Are we asking because we're seeking to evade and withdraw ourselves from the truth? Or are we asking because we are humble enough to recognize this path forward? Well, let's move on ahead with this article. The Testimony of Scripture First, Scripture simply leaves no room for a local flood interpretation. And here are eight reasons why. So, the arguments put forward. The Scriptures simply leave no room for a local flood interpretation, meaning the Bible, God, the penmanship of the Holy Spirit, is very clear to reveal the fact, the objective absolute, that this here globe, the earth, was completely and fully flooded with water. So let's see what the eight reasons would be to prove this fact. Number one, if the flood was local, why waste several decades building an ark? Chapter 5, verse 32, chapter 7, verse 6. Why not just leave that, that area? Well, that's a reasonable argument. It's a reasonable question, right? If God would have told Noah, and of course, as we do this in custom, and I share my thoughts and my studies along with the article and their studies, and so that makes up for this session. If it is true that God told Noah of a coming flood, but it would only be local or localized, would it not be reasonable that an all-knowing God would have indeed instructed Noah to evacuate that certain location in order to be found in an area where he would be safe on land? That would make sense to me. When Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew, I believe, chapter... can't remember. But anyways... He warned his disciples of the coming destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And he told them he, they need to flee that location. It wasn't going to be a global destruction, but a destruction of Jerusalem. And because of his faithful followers, they were Jesus, God on earth, instructed his people, his faithful followers, that they are to flee that location once they begin to see the recognizable signs that would draw near to the moment in which destruction was to come. Flee that location. Leave that location. You don't want to be found there. Wouldn't it be, then, insight within the nature of God to protect his people, his faithful followers? Would he have not told Noah, hey, listen, the, the, the flood's not going to be global. It's going to be localized. So tell the people they need to repent and they need to follow you 
to the location in which there will not be any water on this earth, and you'll be safe there. Is, is that not, like, are we way off here in asking that, I mean, in reasoning that way? Well, of course not. I think that makes sense. Number two reason as to why the flood was indeed global and not localized. Number two, why bring unto the ark animals from all over the region if the flood was local? Representatives of, quote, every living thing of all flesh in chapter 6, verse 19? Since God actually sent the animals to Noah anyway, chapter 6, verse 20, why not just send them out of the area instead? Again, it seems to be a whole lot less trouble. <laughs> it seems to fit logically the path forward if it's a localized interpretation to the water of Noah's age. I mean, why put all these animals into the ark? Why would God not have them congregate on the portion of land in which there would be no water found, no destruction, no death? I don't know. Seems reasonable to me. And I think any humble and submissive, honest student of the text would reason in such a way. Number three reason. How would the ark be able to stay afloat for several months while the water receded if the flood was local? Chapter 8, verse 3. While the ark could certainly stay afloat on a large lake for a long span of time, large lakes do not dry up or recede in only one year without catastrophic breaches, which do not conform well to the uniformitarian assumption that many local flood advocates hold. The description in the text seems to imply that the ark was floating in a receding mass of water so large that it took months for it to drain away. As the floodwaters were receding, Noah sent out birds to determine if the earth was sufficiently safe and dry to exit the ark. The dove, quote, found no resting place for the sole of her foot, chapter 8, verse 9, and yet doves will often travel farther than five miles in search of food. Another reasonable question, right? A reasonable pers uh, uh, perspective to embrace. I mean, if we're being honest. Number four, how could the biblical terminology describing the water as covering, quote, all the high mountains that are under the whole heaven, chapter 7, Verse 19, this of course from the English Standard Version. How could the biblical terminology describing the water as covering all the high mountains that are under the whole heaven be reconciled with a local flood? Like, how do you make sense of that? How do you find no contradiction in such a position? How could water rise high enough locally to cover mountains if the flood was not greater and it its extent? Well, that's, a good, that's a good question. It's a, it's a reasonable question, argument. Number five, how could the biblically stated purpose of destroying man and beast from the face of the whole earth, chapter 6, verse 13, chapter 7, verse 4, be accomplished with a local flood? How can that take place? Conservative estimates indicate that there could have been 215 million people on the planet by the time of the flood, given the long lifespans of the pre-flood era, the robustness of the young human genome, and God's command for humans to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, Genesis 1.28. Given the large buildings had likely not yet been engineered, such as large population would surely have been spread out a great distance, and yet all humans were killed. Further, Genesis chapter 9, verse 19 indicates that after the flood, quote, the whole earth was populated through the three sons of Noah who were on the ark with him, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's another good, I mean, that makes sense to me to ask those questions. They're good questions to ask. Some of them I've asked myself in my search of the truth in regards to the flood of Noah. Some of them are 
new to my thoughts and make sense to me. Like, yeah, you know what? That that's 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 true. Like, how could that be if it's a local flood? All right. Number six. God made a promise to man and the creatures of the earth never to again ne- never to again destroy the earth with a flood in the way he had done. Chapter 9, verse 8 through 16, okay? If the flood was local, then God lied, breaking his covenant with man since the local floods occur all the time. A global flood, however, has never again occurred. You got, you got a reason with it. An honest individual will reason with this, and we will change our thoughts in accordance to the truth. And that's away from any loyalties we might have to any socio-political atmosphere or any uh, religious leader or, or, or any uh, individual who might masquerade as a scientific lead. We have to look at the truth. It makes sense. If God said he would never again do such a thing in such a way, he's lied. Or he is not God because he could not foresee that there were going to be a great many other local floods. You see, it just, it can't be a local flood. It wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't connect the dots. It would be like, you know, uh, uh, um, a box of puzzles, right? A puzzle. And you empty the box on the table there with all the pieces. And you're trying to fit pieces that don't fit. Well, you're not going to get the image that you see on the picture of the box that you're trying to achieve. You're not going to... You're not going to get to the the image of the Christ because you're trying to make fit pieces that don't fit together, and you're even manipulating the pieces, cutting lo- cutting the pieces to your own liking, and trying to make it fit. It don't work, ma'am. It just don't work. And I know what I've I'm looking at myself here. I've had to go through these things. I'm like, why am I trying to make this piece fit in a location it doesn't fit? It has to fit because that's what we've been told our all our lives that this piece goes there, but it doesn't. It doesn't fit there. I was born and raised in the public school system, telling me all kinds of stuff about this moment. We all adhere to the models of uh, uh, theory in regards to evolution. These pieces don't fit with that. Those pieces don't fit with this. What's going on? What's the truth? Well, are we honest to know? I had to humble myself to know. I went as far as I could down that rabbit hole. And lo and behold, I found the truth. It set me free. Yeah, it does that. It's amazing. Truly fascinating. Very interesting. Number seven. Peter used the universal destruction of the earth in the flood to describe what Judgment Day will be like in 2 Peter 3, verses 6 and 7. Now, if the flood was not universal, then logically judgment also will not be universal. I mean, how can you get away from that? Really? If you're honest with the text, how can you get away from that? You can't. It's impossible. <laughs> but I do know and recognize we currently live in a world where men feel they are women and women feel they are men and truth no longer has any realm and science is whatever you want it to be. It's no longer a tool utilized to observe, to test and prove. No, it's just whatever we want it to be. Well, we can't function as a society that way, and that's why we're in the con- current condition we're in. Nonetheless, back to the, the point here. Number eight, the flood was so devastating to the earth that seed time, harvest, winter, summer, and even day and night were severely affected for many months. Chapter 8, verse 22, how could earth processes have been thus affected if the flood was merely local? It wouldn't have caused that catastrophic damage. It would not have altered all things in nature. The Bible is clear, my dear friends. The Bible is very clear. It is trustworthy. The Noahic flood was global in its extent. It just is. It's the only model that fits the logical description. That's it. But there's so much more. There's so much more to look at. And the article continues. Again, I plug in our dear friends over at apologeticspress.org for this article. So he continues in the article, our friend Jeff Miller, and he says, the testimony of science. Now, he writes, moving forward, it says, science is also clear on the uh, universality, (laughs) 
<laughs> Here's where I have to say to all of you, I'm a French guy speaking English words, so I, may, I might get my tongue twisted a few times in trying to pronounce the English word while being infected by the French upbringing in my culture, right? Okay, so science is also clear on the universality of the flood. A scientific theory is validated through testing its predictions. If a global rather than a localized flood occurred, what would we predict? What uh, what would we predict we would find upon examination of the uh, the physical evidence? Right. Here are nine scientific evidences that verify global deluge predictions. Very good. Scientific evidence number one. Let's pay attention here. Sedimentary layers across continents and even between continents. Good. What does it say? Sedimentary rock is understood typically to be the result of sediment uh, de deposited by water. Okay, Sedimentary rock is understood typically to be the result of sediment dis uh, deposited by water. As would be predicted if a global flood occurred, the bulk of the surface of the earth is comprised of sedimentary rock. Some 80 to 90% of the earth's surface is covered with sediment or sedimentary rock, as opposed to uh, Inis. Oh man, there's going to be words here I just can't pronounce, but the idea remains intact. I try... I'm going to still try, okay? Some 80 to 90% of the Earth's surface is covered with sediment or sedimentary rock as opposed to I-G-N-E-O-U-S or metamorphic rocks. While the geologic column, the upper layers, known as the C-E-N-O-Z-O-I-C strata, parentheses often considered post-flood by creation geologists, are characterized by geographically localized beds of sedimentary rock. Many of the flood layers traverse extensive regions. Okay? Now, other big words that I can't pronounce properly. Paleozoic and Mesozoic strata can often be traced across continents and, in some cases, between continents. And, and again, we have to recognize and honor and respect uh, the dialect, the linguistic uh, literature is for the scientific field. And that is because the intelligence of inspired literature with our capable minds, blessed with our ability of free will to think, we can see and recognize the science as a tool, would reveal that the flood was global. Okay, some of my thoughts, bit of an excursion, back to the article in regards to this scientific evidence, number one. For example, geologists have identified six, quote, mega-sequences? Yeah, okay. Geologists have identified six mega-sequences of sedimentary rock layers at the Grand Canyon, that can be followed across North America. The chalk beds of the Cretaceous period, in example, the White Cliffs of Dover, extend from Ireland through England, across the English Channel into Europe, and on down to the Middle East, Egypt, and even Kazakhstan. Even more... <coughs> Excuse me. Even more notable is the fact that the same chalk beds found sandwiched between the same strata are found in the Midwestern USA and Western Australia. Similarly, the uh, uh, Pennsylvanian coal beds of America extend into Britain, Europe, and even further to the Caspian Sea of Russia. Additionally, the distinctly different per uh, Permian coal beds of the southern hemisphere extend between Australia, Antarctica, India, South Africa, and South America. Such widespread disposition of sediment speaks loudly in support of global, global, aqueous event that deposited vast amounts of sediment in a process like none that we witness today.
And that is just, it's a viable, tangible evidence that could be presented in an honorable court of law in regards to the facts. The flood was global. Scientific evidence number two. And again, I encourage all of you, my dear friends, if you find this information or these podcast sessions that go weekly, the early bird podcast sessions that go weekly from Monday to Friday, if you find them valuable, if you find benefit in them, please consider subscribing following, giving us a thumbs up, a comment, sharing the link far and wide, and partaking in, in, in partaking in the work and supporting the work. Thank you. Okay, so scientific evidence number two, marine fossils on continents and mountains, right? If a flood once covered the earth, wherein the ocean floor was broken up and fountains of material were released on the earth, Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 20, If such followed by all the earth's mountains being covered with water, Genesis chapter 7, verse 19 and 20, one would predict marine fossils to be discovered over the entire earth on all continents and atop mountains, right? It is no secret that marine fossils are found well above sea level worldwide and at the summits of mountains. Even the tallest mountains range in the world, the mighty Himalayas, hosts marine fossils. Now, how do you explain that? Hey, man, I'm just your standard blue-collar guy, right? The son of a factory worker grew up on the wrong side of the tracks in a location that's not even on, (laughs) probably not even on the map. I mean, I can make sense of that. How can you find fossils in these locations and, and 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 not have an explanation for it and not know how... Well, we don't know. It's just part of the evolution. No, no. Evolution don't explain that. <laughs> okay? But the flood does. It's, the, it's the, the science as a tool points to a model uh, that would demand a global flood in respect to this topical discussion. Okay, we keep moving with the article. It says here in this scientific evidence number two... Continental rock, parentheses, including that which comprises mountains, and the ballistic, or sorry, not ballistic, yeah, I'm thinking missiles, right? The basaltic rock that comprises the ocean floor are fundamentally different. The rock that raised to form mountains, therefore, was never at the base of the ocean. How, therefore, are the marine fossils found across continents and mountains to be explained? Did the continents, quote, dip down below sea level several times in the past to allow marine creatures to travel into continents and be buried in several distinct layers? Since continental rock is less dense, it, quote, floats in the mantle-like cork, right? Unable to dip in such a way. Instead, the ocean had to have risen high enough at some point to flood the continents, bringing with it the marine creatures that are found fossilized across continents, even in what are now mountains. That's what makes sense. Yeah. Let me take a drink of water here. Good old H2O. High quality H2O. All right, so scientific evidence number three. Lack of erosion or rapid erosion between rock layers, right? Uniformitarian geology predicts the gradual disposition of erosion of sediment across the planet over long periods of time. Present processes are the key to understanding the past. Uniformitarianism, therefore, would predict the joining surfaces between strata to be rough and uneven, with dips and plunges. After all, normal terrain has hills, valleys, riverbeds, and other geographic features that detract from smooth level topography, right? If the flood occurred, however, many of the strata found in the Uh, Paleozoic and Mesozoic layers were laid down while saturated with water and with little time between their sequential uh, deposition. The joining surface of many strata, therefore, would be smooth and flat with little evidence or erosion. 
The enormous, beautiful rock outcrops of the Grand Canyon allow visitors to see for themselves the distinctive sedimentary rock layers that characterize the Paleozoic era, what creation geologists argue is the beginning of the flood. One characteristic feature of those layers is that the joining surfaces of the layers are generally very smooth, with little evidence of the erosion or deposition processes that should characterize the rock layers if they were formed over long periods of time. The evidence indicates that the worldwide sedimentary layers of the geologic column were deposited rapidly in a worldwide aqueous event. Okay, and that's important to understand. If again we're seeking to defend the truth, we must understand it to a certain degree to do so. And again, you can do, this here is very technical scientific language that even myself, obviously, as a, as a common peasant of the fold, <laughs> have a hard time uh, uh, wrapping my mind around. But I can to the degree in which I understand it. And we can all do that. We can all do that to a certain degree. Our brother here is simply speaking the scientific language to a scientific community, proving the fact that the flood had to have been global. All right? So scientific evidence number four, the catastrophic burial. The catastrophic burial. I read on with our friends here over at apologeticspress.org. Most living creatures do not fossilize upon dying. In order to fossilize... They must be buried rapidly and sequestered from oxygen, which causes the rapid decomposition of soft-bodied animals. Fossilization, therefore, is a rarity, especially for land-dwelling creatures. The conditions must be just right. While individual dead carcasses might be envisioned as being covered and preserved from time to time by a localized mudslide or rapid sediment deposition, deposition deposition process non-catastrophic conditions can or non-catastrophic conditions that could kill and preserve the exquisite remains of a larger animal an example a sauropod or large theropod dinosaur are much more difficult to envision and yet fossils of dinosaurs that were killed by an aqueous burial event are typical throughout the fossil record, just as the flood model would predict. For instance, the classic dinosaur death pose, known as the opisthotonic posture. <laughs> Man, I can't pronounce these words, but some of you I know can. O-P-I-S-T-H-T-H-O-T-O-N-I-C. Opisthotonic posture often characterizes dinosaur fossils when the articulated remains of a skeleton are discovered, right? The dinosaur's head is, quote, thrown back over the body, sometimes almost touching the spine, as if drowning and gasping for air. And I can see that. I can see that image. I've seen it before, right? I, I, I can see it in my, my thoughts now as it is described. Even if localized, non-catastrophic conditions could reasonably explain the preservation of individual enormous creatures, the hundreds of fossils, graveyards of the world with in, uh, numerous preserved fossils at each site demand catastrophic aqueous conditions. It just does. The quick execution and burial of a group of animals is much harder to explain under uniformitarian circumstances especially when that group of animals is comprised of dinosaurs. Upon close examination, the contemporary explanation of dinosaur graveyards does not hold up. Paleontologists speculate that many dinosaur graveyards are the result of dinosaurs dying during local flood season while crossing a river or, and being carried uh, to a riverbend and successfully buried year after year. Now, the physical evidence, however does not substantiate this idea. It just doesn't. In Newcastle, Wyoming, for instance, a dinosaur graveyard of over 5,000 uh, disarticulated dinosaurs have been discovered organized into a graded bone bed. If dinosaur corpses were piling up on a river bend each year and being rapidly buried there, 
one would expect the bones to be found in a river current orientation with many of the skeletons articulated, the bones found joined together as skeletons or uh, partial skeletons, right? Instead, the graveyard is comprised of randomly oriented, disarticulated bones. Further, if the dinosaur bones were being deposited upon one another annually, one would predict bone beds at different levels representing successive events. The bones in the dinosaur graveyard, however, are organized in a single graded bed, with large bones at the bottom and smaller bones as you move upward, indicating a single rapid catastrophic event that was responsible for the destruction, transportation, and burial of the thousands of dinosaurs in the area, including, oh boys, here's some big words, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pronounce, Edmontosaurus, Triceratops, oh I know that one, Pachycephalosaurus, okay, and various varieties of Tyrannosauruses. Oh, I know that one too. I know that word. Okay, well, many other fossils testify to catastrophic rather than uniformitarian flood conditions as predicted by the flood model. It had to be catastrophic. It had to be global. The evidence just screams that very conclusion. Okay. From fossils of Triassic, Triassic, okay, there we go. From fossils of Triassic, which is middle flood, ichthyosaurs being catastrophically buried while giving birth to Jurassic, late flood, Aspidorhynchus, fish buried with, oh man, I don't know these words, psittosaur in its jaws. You're going to have to go to apologeticspress.org and read this article for your own self and look at these words if you seek to pronounce them properly. I, as a French guy who speaks English words, am not going <laughs> to be able to do so. But you do get the idea. We can understand th these points to enough of a degree and measurement to defend the truth. It was a catastrophic flood. Okay? And he continues to... Uh, explain these evidences through the scientific model. Fish killed and buried with eaten other fish. Right. Fossils that verify the predictions of the global flood model bound. They just do. It's all over. If you're, if you're looking, <laughs> right? If you're asking the question because you're seeking assistance to know the truth, that, that's how this works. Scientific evidence number five. A, a sismite is a special rock. Sismite, seismite, sismite is a special rock layer that forms when an earthquake vibrates a layer of sediment like sand that is covered with water, like the soggy sand that is under water along a shoreline. Right? When an earthquake happens, it shakes the soggy sand, and the water within it tries to escape upward from the sand as it settles, like magma from a volcano. If the sand were to dry out after the earthquake and lithify, in other words, turn to stone, and then you cut the sandstone in two and looked at the inside layers, you would see the squiggly lines caused by the movement of the shaken water. These are called fluid avulsion structures, and they are usually only a few centimeters thick today. If the flood happened and, quote, all of the fountains of the great deep were broken up as per Genesis chapter 11 and, quote, the mountains rose, the valley sank down, Psalm 104 verse 8, in conjunction with water-saturated continents, the existence of seismites in the rock layers associated with the flood would be predicted. Not only have many such seismites been discovered, but in Lance Creek, Wyoming, dozens of distinct seismite layers, seismite, seismite layers, have been discovered that are several meters thick, rather than a few centimeters thick like seismites forming today. How do you explain that, right? Such abnormal seismites would be termed, quote, unearthy by geologists since no one, or sorry, since no known earthly process, in other words, none witnessed today, can account for their formation. 
these layers have been traced over several miles and are potentially continent-wide. This means that, number one, the whole area was once covered with massive amounts of water, enough to make several meters of sand soggy, and number two, several major earthquakes happened, dozens of earthquakes so intense that there is no modern reference point to interpret their strength. When comparing modern seismites and their correlated earthquakes with the Lance Creek seismites, one infers that the Lance Creek seismites necessarily were caused by an unknown, abnormal phenomenon. Possibly the earthquakes generated by the rapid formation of the Rocky Mountains during the flood when, for example, the Pacific Ocean plate collided with and subducted beneath the North American plate along the west coast of the United States. Interesting. Scientific evidence number six. Long-distance sediment transportation. Sedimentary rock layers are the result of sediment being deposited by water, and in some cases, wind. Rivers, for example, will pick up dirt from their beds and banks, carry them along for a certain distance, gauged by the speed and depth of the river, and redeposited or redeposit the sediment, which may eventually become sedimentary rock if the conditions are right. The type of sedimentary rock will be based on the type of material that comprises the rock, and the type of material is based on the source of the sediment that the river is carrying. If a global, rather than merely local, flood occurred, one would predict that enormous amounts of sediment would have been transported great distances, as opposed to the smaller amounts of sediment that are transported shorter distances today. Once again, when we examine the physical evidence in the flood rock layers, we see certain kinds of sedimentary rock whose material source is hundreds, and in some cases even thousands of miles away the Coconino sandstone in the Grand Canyon, with an average thickness greater than the length of a football field and surface area greater than the state of California, can be traced beyond Utah to the north. The source of the Supai group at the Grand Canyon is postulated to be extremely far from the Grand Canyon. And the source of the Navajo sandstone of Utah, uh, Utah, Utah, <laughs> of Utah, appears to be the Appalachian Mountains of the eastern United States, over 1,800 miles away. While the physical evidence is difficult to reconcile using the conventional paradigm of uniformitarianism, it verifies yet another prediction of the global flood model. Huh? Makes sense? Time for some more water. A lot of reading here. Huh? Hope you guys are doing well. Hope your day is going well. And I truly appreciate your kind attention to this session. It is kind of tedious, had a lot, a lot of information involved, but it's necessary. And if you like nerding out on this kind of stuff, it'll benefit your faith because you can recognize that you believe in something that is true and real. It can be defended in an honorable court of law. Scientific evidence number seven, Cambrian explosion, right? Okay, according to Genesis chapter one and following, a few thousand years ago, God directly created all, quote, kinds of life within four days, not by evolution over four billion years. Approximately 1,650 years after that initial creation, the flood occurred, okay? If the flood was, in fact, global in its extent, then it destroyed all birds and land-living creatures that were not on the vessel prepared for the eight survivors of the catastrophic event. Based on that information, creation geologists can make several scientific predictions. Since the Earth is young and God did not create life through gradual evolution, and since the flood was apparently the first and only major global catastrophic event on the Earth post-creation and catastrophic events are generally the cause of fossilization, the following would predict. Number one, very few fossils likely would have been formed prior to the flood. Number two, transitional fossils between major phylogenic Pelagonic, pelagonic groups would be non-existent in the fossil record. Number three, instead, living creatures would appear fully formed, distinct, and functional, 
the first time they appear in the fossil record. Number four, when the global flood began, we would predict a significant marker in the geol uh, geologic column that represents the commencement of the worldwide flood event. And number five, we would further predict an explosion of fully formed fossils above the line worldwide, representing the deaths of living creatures due to mudslides and other fossil forming process during the global flood. When one examines the fossil record, testing the validity of these global flood predictions, we find that all five of the predictions are easily verified. One observes, beginning at the base of the record, in the pre-Cambrian uh, pre layers, in other words, pre-flood layers, okay, very little is found the way, by way of fossils, namely fully formed stromatolites, predictions one and three. Above the pre-Cambrian strata, a distinct line is observed that extends across the entire planet called the, quote, great unconformity, and that prediction number four, that that line, it marks the beginning of the Cambrian strata, in other words, the flood and an explosion of fully formed fossils called the, quote, Cambrian explosion by paleontologist, predictions three and five. The fossils appear worldwide in sedimentary rock with absolutely no evolutionary history preserved in the fossil record, prediction number two, and all and to all intents and purposes effectively reflect the beginning of the fossil record. Precisely what would be predicted if creation and the global flood occurred, and decisively contrary to the conventional evolutionary paradigm. One well-known evolutionary biologist even conceded concerning the fossils of the Cambrian, and he quotes, It is as though they were just planted there without any evolutionary history. Needless to say, this appearance of sudden planting has delighted creationists, end quote. <laughs> Could it be because, well, creationists adhere to the biblical model, which <laughs> reveals the truth of what has happened in our history <laughs> in regard to the global flood? I don't know, maybe. Okay, even Charles Darwin recognized the Cambrian explosion as a problem for his theory. The Cambrian explosion not only falsifies evolutionary predictions, but it verifies at least five global flood predictions. And the article continues into these five, uh, or, or uh, at least five global flood predictions. Sorry, it doesn't go into those. It already recognized those. It continues with its evidence. Scientific evidence number eight, flood legends, right? If the flood occurred, but was merely local in its, ex its extent, one would not expect a record of the limited event to have been passed down in separate societies worldwide. One might expect distinct legends of localized floods to be passed down within separate societies, but they would not show significant similarities if they were describing different events. If the flood occurred and was global in its extent, however, it would be inconceivable to suppose that stories about such a catastrophic event would not be passed down through the ages to virtually all societies, right? I mean, this is something, this is a tale of our culture we'd be speaking of in all locations of the earth. Okay, the article continues, since the incident at Babel occurred soon after the flood, Genesis 11, right? Where God directly created several distinctly different oral languages, but apparently not written languages, stories of the flood were likely not written down for many years. Instead, they were passed along orally, a medium more prone to inaccuracies in transmission, obviously. The event, therefore, would certainly be remembered, but many of the details would not generally be expected to be accurate. When comparing separate accounts of the event from different societies, if the details matched precisely, one would suspect collusion at some point between the societies. In other words, that the flood stories originated from one latter source rather than from the original witnesses. Sure enough, once again, we find this decisive evidence from archaeology of hundreds of worldwide distinct but curiously similar legends of a catastrophic flood. The details do not perfectly match, as predicted, but 
amazingly match in the essentials, suggesting a true single event thousands of years ago that affected the, the whole world rather than a small geographic area. I mean, the, <laughs> we can understand this, man. It makes sense. We may not be able to so eloquently speak these scientific models and descriptions as would those educated in that field. But again, as the common peasant and layman, I can still wrap my mind around it. I can still see the science revealing the evidence pointing to the global flood. Scientific evidence number nine, rapid disposition of strata. A discuss, as discussed earlier, uniformitarianism, the standard assumption used to interpret geo, geo, geologic observations today, would suggest that the sedimentary rock layers of the Earth were deposited gradually over millions of years, right? One would not expect sediment layers well below the surface to be soft after millions of years, but rather to have been lithified. If a global flood occurred, then catastrophism, not uniformitarianism, is an interpretive principle to be used in geology. If a global flood occurred, then the sedimentary layers of the Pale Paleozoic and Mesozoic layers, in other words, the flood rock strata, were laid down rapidly, possibly in as little as one year's time. Many of the strata below the surface at any point during the flood, therefore, would be, or would still be, soft, not yet lithified, right? Which prediction is borne out upon examination of the physical evidence? Question. Which prediction is borne out upon examination of the physical evidence? The global flood model prediction is verified when we observe tightly folded rock strata, for example, in the Paleozoic tap tapetes, sandstone, and Muavi limestone of the Grand Canyon. Since rocks break rather than bend, Observing several meters of unbroken, tightly folded rock strata implies the layers were not yet rock when they were bent. Precisely what would be expected in, if the global flood occurred and laid down the worldwide sedimentary layers of the Mesozoic and Paleozoic eras. Further evidence of the rapid disposition of strata is seen when we observe polystrate fossils. And it wasn't disposition, it's deposition. I mix up those words. Deposition of strata. Okay. Polystrate, 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 polystrate fossils are individual fossils that span multiple polystrata. Straight. Strata. Strat. Okay. Polystrate. Such a fossilized tree, such as fossilized trees and other organisms across the world. Surely only fanciful, blind faith would lead one to accept the postulate that a tree could remain dead, undecayed, and sticking out of the ground for hundreds of thousands of millions of years while sediment slowly accumulated around the tree, burying it. Polystrate fossils, polystrate fossils worldwide suggest rapid disposition of the sedimentary rock layers also worldwide. Okay, so now the article tr transitions to another section called Where Did the Water Go? Where Did the Water Go? Both science and scripture support a global flood, but if the waters of the flood really did once cover the earth, even the mountains, where did the water go after the flood? Good question. The water could not have disappeared from the universe. It must be accounted for. Unless God chose to suspend the first law of thermodynamics and directly remove the water from the universe. The account of the flood event is certainly laced with God's supernatural activity. He directly communicated with Noah, informing him how to build the ark, sent the animals to Noah, personally shut the door of the ark, and apparently initiated the flood. The possibility of other supernatural activity on God's part, therefore, cannot be ignored. However, 
before, uh, before assuming, quote, God miraculously did it as an explanation for everything that we do not know, which could lead to false conclusions, scientific laziness, and a lack of valuable knowledge about the natural realm and God's amazing glory as reflected therein, let us consider if there is another plausible explanation as to where the water from the flood went. Good. If the entire current Earth's atmosphere released its water, it would only cover the globe to a depth of about one inch above sea level. If all of the present land ice of the Earth melted, including glaciers, ice caps, and ice sheets, it would raise the sea level approximately 230 feet. If all of the water within the Earth's crust was pumped onto the surface of the Earth, it would raise the sea level to about or to another 600 feet, which is much more significant. But when we consider that many of Earth's mountains uh, tower over the Earth above 25,000 feet in height, such numbers pale in significance. Where is the water from the flood? Answer, apparently the same place it came from, primarily the oceans. Psalm 104, verses 6 through 9. While Scripture does not give many details about what occurred during the flood, it does provide a few important clues. Number one, when the flood began, the, quote, fountains of the great deep, in other words, the oceans, were broken up. All of them. Genesis 7:11, Proverbs 3:20. Such terminology suggests the breakup of the ocean floor and the release of water and magma from below the Earth's surface unto the ocean floor. Using our knowledge of geology in the 21st century, such terminology suggests plate tectonics, in other words, the breakup and initiation of the movement of the plates that comprise the surface of the Earth. They may have been activated at that point. Number two, the breakup of the Great Deep is mentioned followed by, in other words, perhaps causing the opening of the, quote, windows of heaven, intense rain, Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, for 40 days and nights, chapter 7, verse 12. Number three, the waters increased, seven, chapter 7, verse 17, greatly increased, verse 18, prevailing for 150 days, verse 24, roughly five months. After that point, Quote, the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. A great wind passed over the earth, and therefore the waters began to recede continually, chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3, until the ark came to rest several weeks later, verse 4. Number 4, in Psalm 104, speaks of creation and the flood, verse 6 through nine referred to the flood and tell us that the mountains rose and the valley sank down during the event. While some higher elevation locations apparently existed prior to the flood, that's chapter seven, verse 19 and 20, the taller mountains formed during the flood. Interesting. Number five, Psalm 104, verse nine indicates that the geologic activity that ensued in the flood created a geographic setting that now disallows a global flood to occur again. Is there physical evidence to support and further explain these statements in Scripture? Undeniably. When the fountains of the Great Deep were broken up, apparently commencing plate tectonics, magma from the mantle would have touched the waters of the ocean, superheating it and blasting it into the atmosphere and superheated vapor, where it came back down as rain. Many of the Earth's divergence zones stretched for hundreds of miles at the base of the oceans, right? Geyser-like activity would have, therefore, created worldwide fountains that drenched the continents with immense amounts of water for possibly weeks, 40 days, until the movement of Earth's tectonic plates slowed. We are able to observe today the effects of Earth's tectonic plates as they move relative to one another. Cover, uh, converging and subducting, diverging and transforming. Most geologic activity on the Earth occurs along the margins of tectonic plates as they move, earthquakes, volcanoes, and mountain buildings, for example. Subducting plates angle downward, slowing diving into Earth's mantle and dragging with them the ocean floor. 
On the rear side of the plate, plate divergence occurs, plates being pulled away from one another, forming ga uh, gaps between plates, and new material surfaces from the mantle to fill the gaps, replacing the material that has been pulled towards the subduction zone. While plates move on the other, uh, or while plates move on the order of sediment uh, centimeters per day or per year, sorry, while plates move on the order of sediment uh, centimeters per year today, forming mountains and volcanoes very slowly, when plates or when plate tectonics began, in other words, the beginning of the flood, simulations show the rate would have been on the order of meters per second forming mountains rapidly. If tectonic plates have always moved at the same slow rate that they are moving today, the subducting plate material would have heated and reached thermal equilibrium with the mantle material long before reaching the core slash mantle boundary in its descent. If the global flood model is correct, however, and the plates were moving rapidly at the onset of the flood only a few thousand years ago, immense slabs of colder material from the ocean floor would be predicted to be piled at the core-slash-mantle boundary that has not yet warmed to mantle temperatures. And sure enough, yet another flood prediction was verified when technology progressed to the point that the Earth's internal structure could be studied. Colder slabs of material were, were, were discovered piled under subduction zones, deep in the mantle of the mid-19, or deep in the mantle in the mid-1990s. The new material replacing the cold, dense ocean floor that is pulled towards subduction zones is much hotter and thus less dense. The effect is that the new material floats higher in the mantle. As the ocean floor was rapidly replaced with new mantle material during the early weeks of the flood, therefore more and more of the ocean water was continually being displaced onto the land until the entire ocean floor was replaced. Geologists and geophysicists estimate that, at its peak height, the ocean floor would have been over 3,000 feet higher than its initial level. Plate motion would have slowed at that point, allowing the new ocean floor to cool become denser once again and therefore float lower in the mantle, creating the valleys that would allow the flood waters to return to the oceans. The new height of the mountains and the topography of the ocean floor now prohibit the possibility of the reoccurrence of global flood, as Psalm 104.9 implies. Our ever-increasing scientific knowledge continues to provide more and more clues that support and explain the global deluge of Noah. Whether the flood water was removed supernaturally or naturally, there is no quandary created for the global flood model. And so, in conclusion, to this article from our wonderful friends over at apologeticspress.org, the author being our friend and brother Jeff Miller, the conclusion. The Bible speaks of a major flood roughly 1,650 years after creation. While skeptics scoff at the possibility of a global flood and many Bible believers scratch their heads in incredulity at such a prospect, both inspired scripture and science agree. The flood occurred, and it was global. No way around that. Once again, there is no reason to question the validity of scripture. When one carefully examines the evidence prior to drawing conclusions, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, the claims of Scripture are verified, without exception. One need only, quote, be diligent as an unashamed worker, being carefully or being careful to correctly handle God's Word, 2 Timothy 2.15. Does it matter, though, whether or not the global flood happened? Well, most certainly. Some may say this is just, you know, useless conversation. No, not at all. It's most important. Jesus called the attention to his audience back to the flood in Matthew chapter 24, warning, and I quote, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
verses 37 through 39. Sadly, mankind has gotten or forgotten the message that God's flood conveyed. The flood was a physical depiction of how God feels about sin. The flood is a reminder about God's holiness and the necessity of human repentance and obedience in order to be pleasing to him. It's a reminder that judgment can always be just around the corner when we least expect it. In 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 6, Peter reminded his audience of, of the flood, and he, he warned, quoting, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? The global flood of Noah is a reminder of the global judgment that looms in the future and God's demand that we live a holy and godly life. But the flood is also a reminder of God's grace. God, through Moses, went out of his way to repeatedly highlight how Noah was different. He consistently obeyed God. Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, chapter 7, verse 5, chapter 9, chapter, or, or sorry, chapter 7, verse 5, verse 9, and verse 16. The flood is a reminder that those who obediently submit to God can be saved through water and receive the benefits of God's grace, if we will only believe him. Peter, once again, used the flood in 1 Peter 3. And again, Jesus and the, his apostles would be uh, liars if the flood had not taken place. They seem to believe it really took place, right? Okay, I quote now 1 Peter 3. The divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the article goes to its end notes, and it concludes also our podcast session in this themed Thursday topical discussion regarding the flood of Noah. You can visit this article and take a lot more time with it if you seek to do so over at apologeticspress.org. The title of the article was The Flood Global, Testimony from Scripture and Science. And again, the author, Jeff Miller, PhD. And you can find his credentials on that website as well. Friends, Stefan Maia is my name. AddedSouls.com is my website. The East Coast Church of Christ is uh, uh, the church I work along with. You can find us on Facebook. We have a page there. And we also have a website, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com. Please consider subscribing, following, liking, sharing, all that kind of good stuff if you find value in this information. You can look at the show notes and see the days of the week and the themes of the days of the week and what we discuss in our podcast sessions. If you would like to have a conversation with me, if you'd like to support our work, by all means do so. You can reach out to me, contact me. We can have video chat. We can have phone conversation, email interaction, all that kind of good stuff. You can find my profile on various locations. My biggest one, of course, being Facebook, but I'm also on Twitter and YouTube, Rumble, and, uh, well, Locals. Locals is the location where we have our freedom community. You can sign up at itssouls.locals.com. It's free to do so, but you can choose to support and you'll have, of course, some exclusive content there for you, sharing updates and reports and various things we do throughout the, throughout the days. Is that okay? Is that good? Stay focused and stay positive. Lord willing, we shall see each other again for the next session. God bless.